The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Brooks. Calling all running nerds, Brooks has just dropped the Go 16, a sweet name for an even sweeter shoe. If you're looking for comfort for that morning jog or when you're hopping on that treadmill, look no further than the Go 16, which has a nitrogen-infused cushioning. That means it's nice, soft, and lightweight. So you got the comfort, but you don't sacrifice the speed. Turn those everyday miles into everyday endorphins and the better than ever Brooks Go 16. Click or tap the banner to learn more. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. Into the Ringerverse, the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fan. Now, oh, guys, I know that uh, my man Dan Layton still is not here. I'm still sending all of our prayers and positive thoughts out to him. But I wanted to give you guys a special treat for rocking with us through through such a tumultuous time. So I have invited on what I consider a Renaissance man. Okay, musician, actor podcaster, and most importantly, the biggest and the smartest comic book fans I know. I wanted to invite Open Mike Eagle to the show. How are you doing, Mike? That was a fantastic and very intimidating (laughs) welcome, sir. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And Mike, I want to do something that's very, very special. You are are the first guest we've ever had on the Midnight Boys, okay? And and Jomi, Steve, uh, can you come in here real quick? Yes, indeed. What's happening? Right here, for the first time ever, we're inviting the first, our first new Midnight Boy wow. to the show. So what we're going to okay. do... Wait a minute, am I about to be hazed? Is that what's about to happen? No, 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 oh, okay. no, 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 no. You're going to do something that, that no one else has ever done. You're going to get to say our catchphrase. Guys, I would like you to say hi to Steve, Jomi, and Open Mike Eagle, and today... We are the Midnight Boys. That's a real easy catchphrase. That was easy to catch on. It's super easy, yo. But, Mike, what I want to help the listeners understand is actually how much of a, of a nerd you are. And I mean that in such oh, a, oh. In, in a compliment. I'm going to give it to you in the realest way possible. So I got, on there, I got on here like a minute after I was supposed to. And the reason why is because... Uh, I saw an email that my eBay X-Men comic book lock just got delivered. So I had to run and grab it, open it, and look at every issue real fast. I didn't read them. I didn't take them out the bags, but I had to, like, evaluate every issue that I got in real fast before I got on this call. What type of condition were they in? I mean, they're all decent. You know, like, none of them them are going to go to uh, CGC. You know, I'm not not going to get them (laughs) slabbed. 
or nothing like that. But they're all they're all in good condition. And really, I'm not getting them to like sell them. I'm getting them to have them because that's what I've decided in my adulthood that I want to do with my discretionary income is just have all the X-Men comics. That's what I want. And because this is actually we bonded over the X-Men, I believe the first time we did. That, that I talked to you, I saw Jonathan Hickman's it's right behind my head House right of now. X. Mm-hmm. Yes, Powers of Ten. And I was just like, I got to ask him about this. We were talking about MF Doom, mm-hmm. rest in peace to MF Doom. But like from then on, I was just like, we need to get him on the Midnight Boys. Open mic. Would you would you be willing to play a midnight game with me? That sounds real great. As long as it's not a weird euphemism for something that uh, I'm that Yeah, I'm well, after it left my mouth, I was like, that sounds really Say <laughs> <laughs> We can talk off mic. I'm just saying. A midnight <laughs> test. Let's call okay. it a midnight test. All right. First question. Team Iron Man, Team Cap. So we're talking Civil War. We're talking about whether or not heroes should be registered. Is that specifically how we're going to decide I Team think Iron it, Man I think it could be that. I also think it could be wider. Who are you rocking with? Well, I'll take it this. Now, you know, going into... I'd say maybe 10 years ago, I would have said Team Iron Man, but that's just because I thought Iron Man was cooler. So now after all of the movies and reading Jonathan Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers, I'm so solidly Team Cap because Team Iron Man, uh, they run behind the guy who makes decisions that result in everybody dying all the time. So open mic is Team Cap. Can we get a ding? That was the correct answer. This This is a test. There are correct answers to this. We this is a team cap podcast. Okay. Oh, good. Now we've had we've had some midnight courts here where Van and I uh, argue our honestly our best takes, but sometimes our worst takes. Mm. So I want to ask you: Is Black Panther a top five MCU movie? I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say Black Panther is a top five MCU Ding! movie. That's yeah. a great answer. Yeah, that seemed like an easy one for for here. What, wait, so what would what would be your top five MCU movies though? Uh, I'm gonna say Ragnarok. I'm gonna say Infinity War, Endgame, Black Panther. Ooh, what is this last one? What am I gonna do? I'm gonna have to say Civil War. Not Winter Soldier. Wow. Yeah, I think. Wow. I watched them. I got. I went back and I didn't see Winter Soldier when it came out, and I think I saw Winter Soldier after I saw Civil War, and Civil War just it just hit me, man. Like the fight, the 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 airport fight. Like that thing just sits in my mind all the time. Just think about that all the time. Giant man hitting people with airplanes. Like, that's beautiful. Our, wow. This is this is our first disagreement. But you did get that question right. Black Panther is a top five. But also, I hadn't really thought about it. So I can't, I can't even really defend all it. All right, so the fans should not attack you. This was all off the top of the Off day. the top, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, this is, this is one. This is a midnight court that I lost. But I want to ask you, who was the greater Jedi? Obi-Wan Kenobi or Luke Skywalker? The greater Jedi. I think I got to go Luke. I think I got to go Luke. Because I feel like... correct! Yeah, okay. I feel like defeating (laughs) Vader is like, is pretty big in Jedi-dom. You know, like that's, that's pretty... It's hard to beat beating Vader, especially given Vader's your own father. Like that's that's a challenge. Beating Vader is hard also. The fact that like what he was working with, he was working with Scraps... You know what I'm saying? He didn't have the whole Jedi Council backing him. He was just out here solo dolo he with was. Obi-Wan and a little and a little bit of Yoda's, Yoda's help. Come on. We got to give it to Luke. And like the, the Emperor was like live trying to manipulate him in the moment. You know what I'm saying? It was Shit. a lot he had to, he had yeah. to work against. You know? He had to go against the Emperor and Darth Vader at the same time. Come on. We got to give it. We got to give it to Luke. All right. This one, this one, it's a little controversial. Grade Sam Wilson's Captain America costume in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, my God. 
Does it get an A? Does it get an F? Somewhere in between? What are we wrong? Oh my with? God. Um, all right. It's not a bad costume, but I also don't like it. So I'm going to say a B minus. I'm going to give him a B minus. Wow, that's way higher than I would give it. Oh, good. Okay. That's way higher than I would give it. What grade are you giving it? I'm giving it a C plus. Okay. It's not that different. It's not that different. It was just like, to be fair, it's like, even in the comic books, it's a very complicated costume. Right. And it's a very hard one to get right. And I'm just hoping with the movie budget in Cap 4, they could they could give my man a, a better suit because he was looking like a Power Ranger. He kind of was, huh? It kind of looked like a, a what was it called? The, the um, like Specter Man, like that that era of of a giant robot person yeah. in a suit fighting Tokyo. Yeah. Our last question: What is your hottest MCU take? The one that killed me. The fans wanted to roast me over an open fire. Is that I think Age of Ultron is better than the original Avengers. I like Age of Ultron a lot. I actually had a discussion about that with somebody uh, a couple nights ago. I was telling my homies, like, Age of Ultron. It holds up. It hit me in the heart, man. And then for those who are just listening, I'm pointing at my heart right now. The, the, <laughs> the, the Wanda and Pietro redemption arc in that movie, if you are in any way open and, and, and your feelings are available to you in that moment, it's going to touch you right Speak in the chest. On it. It's going to touch you right Speak in the chest. So I'm going to steal your take. I agree with you. Wow. I absolutely Open do. Mike Eagle, the Renaissance man himself, is this is probably the first time on this podcast anyone's agreed with me. I don't even know what to do with these emotions. I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> I love that movie. I'll stand on that. This episode is brought to you by Brooks. Calling our running nerds, Brooks has just dropped the Go 16, a sweet name for an even sweeter shoe. If you're looking for comfort for that morning jog or when you're hopping on that treadmill, look no further than the Go 16, which has a nitrogen-infused cushioning. That means it's nice, soft, and lightweight. So you got the comfort, but you don't sacrifice the speed. Turn those everyday miles into everyday endorphins and the better-than-ever Brooks Go 16. Click or tap the banner to learn more. All right, so right now, we're going to get into Black Widow Corner. And I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on Black Widow as a character? This can be in the comic books and in the MCU before going into the movie. Now, I don't have much experience with Black Widow from the comics because when I was growing up, I read a lot of X-Men, didn't read a lot of Avengers, right? And since then, I think the majority of the Avengers I read Black Widow either wasn't there or was more of a background character in a lot of the stories that I read. And in the movies, I always feel like she's been very formidable. Um, She's brought a certain edge to the team being like, I don't want to say like ground level because she's not daredevil. You know what I'm saying? But like being more of a grounded character actually helps in these movies. She's street level adjacent. Yeah, you know, yeah. like even in the comics, she's always running around with like Daredevil, Hawkeye, Spider. She's street level adjacent. And I think you know? it actually is really important for these movies to have a character who the audience feels like isn't interplanetary, isn't a space god, isn't a giant monster. It's yeah. a person who has abilities and and has gone through some shit. You know, I I really do feel like that gives an accessibility into like this world. It's really important. So. You know, there is the questions people always have, right? Like they're fighting a, a space invasion and they just and they have a, a ninja lady, you know, that doesn't have powers. Um, and, you know, sometimes logically that can be hard to reconcile. But uh, I think she does a lot 
socially for the team. I think she does a lot psychologically for the audience. Yeah, I do think that Black Widow is an important Avenger to have there Mm -hmm. for all of the reasons that you said. I think what honestly, even like Scarlett Johansson has been saying on this press tour is that when she was first introduced in the MCU, I think it was a different time. She was almost like this femme fatale. She was very sexualized. She like, when she debuted, like they make fun of it even in this movie, the poses, the hair flipping. She was kind of like the sexy woman character. And I think that, especially in this movie, they have to do a lot of work to make her a little bit more three-dimensional than that. And they ended up doing that in like Endgame and Infinity War, but this is her movie to kind of like really flesh that out. And honestly, not to give any, you know, I will say this, reading comic books, when I was introduced to Black Widow, she was kind of always this woman character that was understood the closer she was to a man. She was Mm. either dating Captain America or she was dating Bucky or she was dating Daredevil, even in the comic books. And it's only been in like recent years where she's kind of gotten these runs that are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to flesh her out more than just the woman Avenger or more than just like Daredevil's girlfriend or like the woman character that you bring in that the men have to fight over. And in the comic books, they've started to do a good job with that. And I think in the MCU, part of the reason that they probably had to make this movie is like, to give Scarlett Johansson a send-off, but also to like to keep the Black Widow mantle alive. And we'll get to that. But I wanted to talk to you about what do you feel about prequels in general? And then like them going like, yeah, Black Widow, that's a pre- the first prequel in the MCU. Because I have feelings about prequels, but I want to ask you. That's really interesting. Is this the first prequel? Because it, I don't know, some of the Captain America stuff feels like it's out of time sequence as well. I guess I would call this the first prequel because we've learned so much about Black Widow. Right. And then they're jumping back to after Civil War to tell this story. Whereas with Captain America, they started that with World War uh, One. I mean, World War, World War II. You know what I'm saying? And then we got to see him in the present. And that's what I think is kind of making it a prequel. I see what you mean. When you watch this movie, I, I remember thinking about the, the the Disney Plus Marvel shows on the way to this. And, you know, we had WandaVision and we have Loki now. Um, and those shows in particular have a way of playing with supernatural forces and interdimensional stuff where, like, in the back of my head, I kept thinking, did, have they timed this movie to come out because something happens in one of these shows that makes it where suddenly it makes sense to jump back in time? Like, I had that in the back of my head, right? Now, I know we're not into spoilers yet, but when you watch the movie, clearly it's got nothing to do with any no. of that. But honestly, where I would have felt like I needed that justification because I thought that would bother me, it didn't bother me at all. I actually felt like it felt really good because what it did ultimately, there were a lot of things about her character and her emotional development and her trauma that were hinted at in other movies. But the way that this puts those things front and center, and because I have seen all those movies, it makes all of that stuff work for me way more. When she talks about what the Avengers mean for her as family and Endgame, it hits so much harder now seeing this. The only real problem for me with this movie being a prequel is that you do come out of it like, wow, she didn't mention any of this. (laughs) 
<laughs> to anybody. I, I will say that that my issue is that I generally think prequels aren't are really hard to pull off. The best example is like when I was a kid, I thought The Phantom Menace was the coolest shit I had ever seen. I was so young. I was just like, everything about this works. I love it so much. And then watching it with adult eyes, I was like, oh, this is prequels are really, really hard. Yeah, they're difficult to do because to raise the stakes, to give it tension, we know where Anakin is going to go. You know what I'm saying? And I think the reason why maybe people were let down by Phantom Menace is I remember as a kid seeing that iconic poster of little Anakin and then his shadow is Darth Vader. And that was that was the stakes. It's like, how does this cute little boy become Darth Vader? But then as shit went on, you're just like, oh man, the Russian <laughs> it, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to have the whole prequel discussion. But I think Black Widow has the has a tension problem mm-hmm. where it's like, for a lot of it, you know in your back of your head, you're like, damn, Black Widow dies on four of <laughs> So it, it doesn't hamper the movie because I did enjoy a lot of it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, damn, I wish this would have came like before Endgame so I really could appreciate it. That is the absolute truth of the matter is that as much as I enjoyed it, it definitely should have come out earlier. It definitely should have come out in the sequences with the movies, because that's really when it would have had the gravitas that it commands for how much money yeah. was spent on it. Clearly how much work was done with the writing and acting and, and everything in this thing. I think that um, if it had come out when it was supposed to, it would ultimately meant the most for this particular piece of work. Oh, I absolutely agree. But now we've talked enough about like all of the stuff leading up to it. We're getting into spoiler territory once again. We're just like, inching towards it. Yeah, we're like yeah, we're, dancing we're, we're around there. it. We crossed, we crossed the line. We are going to spoil Black Widow right oh, now. Oh, good. We are actually absolutely going to. But I don't have to explain that to the people because we have a little sound clip that I would like my man Steve to roll. Can you roll the sound clip, Steve? We're getting ready to talk about the movies. You're listening to a reaction podcast. The spoilers are coming. Is that right, Van? So that's Van's voice? That is Van's that's voice. Beautiful. We got to jazz it up a little Yo, bit. He, He's still here in spirit. He could have been a professional wrestler, man. That's a voice. That's a <laughs> promo voice. Old man Van, the professional wrestler? Wow. He really he could have did that. He could have had that life if he wanted it. Now, for the long-time listeners, you guys know that right here we do a recap. And because it's a movie, I get 60 seconds. And Steve, what I want, I, we've been able to choose our music. Can I get some Bond music? I would, like, I would like to do a nice Bond music during the 60-second recap. Is that cool with you, Steve? Is that possible? That's, a, that's absolutely possible. All right. Set time on the clock. We're going to do it now. We open in the early 90s where Natasha was living in suburban Ohio in 1995. Her parents are outed as Russian spies and make a dangerous escape to Cuba. Natasha and sister Yelena are sent to the Red Room to become child spies. Flash forward and Natasha is now a fugitive, immediately following the main events of Civil War. She hides out and encounters the elusive Taskmaster, who is relentlessly hunting her to seize possession of the Black Widow mind control antidote. Something Yelena secretly sent Natasha in hopes of Natasha and the Avengers eventually coming to the rescue. Nat narrowly escapes Taskmaster and heads to her safe house, the Budapest. She encounters Yelena, newly freed from her mind control and in desperate search for her family and the Red Room. On the run, Nat bonds with her sister after not seeing her for decades and plots to free her father's, the super soldier Red Guardian. 
After breaking him out, they rendezvous with Milena, where she reveals how she helped engineer the mind control for all of the Black Widow faction. The family hatches a scheme to take down the villain Drakov and the Red Room. Find that Taskmaster is Drakov's mind control daughter, and Black Widow frees herself from her pheromone control. The Red Room is destroyed, and Nat's family go their separate ways as Nat goes off to break the secret Avengers out of the raft. Don't hold back. Give me your initial thoughts after watching Black Widow. I really liked it. I really did. I really went into it looking at the runtime, um, kind of having seen a couple reviews from people, non-spoiler reviews from people, thinking that like this was something that I was going to watch and just kind of like get through. But I really enjoyed it. All of the emotions that they built for what it meant for these people to have been a family for the short time that they were and how they're all struggling with that for the rest of their lives. I genuinely felt it like I genuinely, and I didn't think they'd be able to make me feel it, but they did. So I think just for that alone, I have to, I have to say that I enjoyed it. I have to say that I think it did what it set out to do. Um, I think I am probably part of the audience that was underwhelmed by the Taskmaster, but oh, we got to get into it. We're going to have a whole Taskmaster corner where we're going to geek out because, like, I don't want the fans, like, to attack us, but, like, they did the... Ta- if you read the comics, if you play video games, they did Taskmaster so dirty. Yeah, it, but was, what it was weird. It was weird, but... So you're saying that you came out of the movie really, really happy. I won't say really, really happy because... Satisfied, maybe. Yeah, satisfied for sure. And definitely, like, thumbs up. I enjoyed it. I have a complicated relationship with this movie because I've seen it twice now. Okay. I went to a, I went to a screening. I was surrounded by, like, a whole crowd of other writers, critics, whatever. And I went in there not really being that excited for Black Widow. It's not a character or a story that I thought I would like. And when I got home, my girlfriend was like, what did you think? And I was like, honestly, it was like way better than I thought. Like, mm. I, like, I, like it was way better than I thought it would be. Like, I, I had a good time. I laughed. I was just happy to be at the movies. And then I rewatched it again today on my TV. And like, I was like, damn, now that I'm <laughs> putting second eyes on it, some of the flaws of the movie definitely definitely showed themselves. And I also think the difficult thing, too, is that, like, have are you up on, like, all of the Disney plushes? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very caught up. I'm, I'm, I'm watching things as they, as they appear. I assume that that's part of y'all Midnight Boys. Um, we do it. Part we of the title is that y'all are watching them yeah. when they drop. And I'm, I'm definitely, I'm in the collective of people who are waiting at midnight to watch each episode. And here's everything. the thing. When... I do think that like there has been a fatigue that has set in because with the Disney Plus shows, I'm like, damn, like this is good, but this isn't like the feeling of going to a movie or this isn't the feeling of like a two hour, Mm -hmm. we spent 100 million, 150 billion, 200 million on this movie. And like when I first saw Black Widow, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm back. I'm doing it. Like I'm seeing it on a big screen. You know what I mean? One of my first thoughts, and I'm talking about maybe 20 minutes into this movie, I'm like, damn, they movie so much better than they TV. Yeah. They really do. <laughs> like it's, the, it, that. All right. I'm like, and this is like, this is me being 100% real because like I have liked a lot of what the TV show has done. The TV shows have done, but they almost kind of feel like phase one where they mm. don't know how to, they haven't perfected the TV formula in the way that they have with the movies. And when I was even watching Black Widow, even if I had some issues with it, I still was like, 
damn, they do a two-hour movie way they better really than they do like do a six or eight well. hour, eight hour, like you know, yeah. eight episode TV show. Like the TV shows really have a problem with pace. The funny thing is, is like watching an MCU movie after the TV shows, the pacing is just so much better. It's You're so like, oh, much better. There's no there's no fat. We're like just getting into the action. Like the minute you're dropped into this movie, you're like, oh shit, we're going. Yeah. The minute you see like Alexi or the Red Guardian like throw that shit, I'm like, all right. Yo, like started. it's so, it's so good. And and I think they do it. They do a really good job of drawing you into character before the action starts too. Yeah. They do a really good job of that. Like before you know who's who in the family, you're already like, okay, what's going on here? There's very human drama that's very accessible. Yeah, and then Red Guardian starts throwing trucks around and shit, you know? It's and then like, you're like, oh, we're doing... And the what, the first kind of big blanket topic that I really wanted to talk about is family. Mm-hmm. Because I honestly think that this would have been a more successful family vacation movie than it was a spy movie. Because that's really all of interesting. The family, all of the family parts hit for me. They do. Whenever it was like... Alexi and Elena and Natasha and um the mom and everyone. Melina, yeah. Melina arguing or like having to sift through all of these complicated emotions about being a family that was essentially just like like the Americans that was like put together by a secret or- Russian organization. All of that like worked for me because I don't know about you. I come from like a very, very complicated family dynamic. I was adopted by my uncle when I was like a teenager and like I really like, ha- and like all of my cousins that are now my brothers and sisters, being from an adopted family is complicated because you have people who have someone that love them in front of them, but still have that longing to, to find their biological parents. And you're also like, weirdly, there was this emotion when I was watching the movie of like the most difficult thing I think about like growing up, childhood, whether you're a child when it happens, a teenager, an adult is like that moment when you realize your parents aren't perfect or your parents have like wants and desires outside of you. And it's like, wait, what? Like my parents aren't, aren't on this world only to make me happy and keep this family unit together. They have their own lives and their own things. Like that part of the movie really did work because like Alexi, like especially in the beginning of the movie, he's like asking, um, he's asking his, uh, his bro, Drakeoff, he's like, yo, when are you going to let me back in the Red Guardian suit? Like, the minute, like, they land, he doesn't care that his fake wife got shot. He doesn't care that his daughters are freaking out. He's like, dog, I've been, I've been doing this in Ohio for three years. Get me back in my suit. And that works for me. I hear you. You know, and the funny thing about that, too, is, is a lot of his characters clearly wrapped up in wanting to relive his glory days as a Red Guardian. But I think one thing you see when you do put him back in that family dynamic is how important those three years were for him, too. Like you really, like I think that's one of the main threads of this movie is how much it means for these people to have been programmed to love each other. But in that time, they really did perform that function for each other. And obviously, uh, Yelena's character being the person who was literally steeped in that because she was the youngest, like how much this meant for her and how much, even though it was only three years, because of how real it was in those moments, she carries that forward. And in a way, they all carry that forward. Even when Melina doesn't think she carries that forward. When they're all at the table, she's back into mom mode. Like, it's 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 something that really sticks with me. I think she tells Natasha, don't slouch. And she's telling Yelena, eat something. And I was just like, oh, that's, 
the realest shit ever. And then there's this part, there's these two lines that Yelena says that really got me. She says, quote, the best part of my life was fake. And she says it was so much distraught. And then she gets into this big argument. She goes off on her own. And she says to Alexi, she goes, you have done nothing but told me how bored you were. I was the chore, the job you didn't want to do. To me, you were everything. And that is such like a human emotion because I think like so, millions of people can like relate to having a father figure who can't do any, whether he was like a football star in high school or college or like he gets fired from his job or whatever, being like so fixated on this past and feeling burdened by the family while you have this younger person being like, to me, you were everything. And you're throwing away like, I'm not enough. Like Yelena in that moment is like, why wasn't I enough? And that moment wasn't enough. And then once he starts singing American Pie, I was like, oh shit, they did the thing. They did, they got us. But you know, I'm, I'm gonna be thinking about Yelena as a character. I think like, I tend to, I watch a movie. Like I just saw this today for the first time, yeah. literally. First reaction. And, and I find myself like, like I am thinking about Yelena and feeling that character. Um, because, I mean, talk about trauma, right? Like you find out your family is a lie. And then you get you get put into a program where you have to do these things that continue this weird lie, uh, and and then ultimately gets brainwashed, and then comes to even find out that like you know she's she's a twenty year I don't know how old year old person who has to peel back all of these layers of like these illusions that have been foisted upon her, and like she has no way of knowing who she is right now, like no way. Oh, and even the fact that. She when she like is talking to Natasha, she has this hurt on her face. Like you went off to be an Avenger and you like you left me behind. Mm-hmm. She has so much trauma about not only her like fake parents not being a real parents, but this sister who earlier in the movie when she was young was about to kill some soldiers for her, leaving and making another family with the Avengers. And I think the the really the thing that is kind of so smart when I watched it the second time around and you're a musician. So I wanted to get your, your take on this is that one thing that's so foundational to this movie is the song American pie. Yelena, when she's young asks Alexi, can you play the song? And this song and correct me if I'm wrong is about the death of kind of this certain American dream, this, this, this idea of rock and roll and all of these rock stars dying and, and America becoming kind of a more cynical place. And when you play that song, it says a lot about Natasha and a lot about the family because they're leaving this American version behind. Melina, she says, when when Alexi runs in, she's like, I don't want to leave. And he's just like, don't say that. But for Yelena, it is like this death of innocence. It's like that song is like, the death of innocence of America, but for her, it's the death of her innocence as a human because she hasn't been to the Red Room before. Like, Natasha knows what's going to happen. And I think that's why Natasha, as a child, gets so mad because she's just like, I don't want this to happen to she, my sister. She doesn't, want, she doesn't want Yelena to go through what she went through, which is also funny to me because in that first, I don't know if it was the very first scene, but uh, Yelena hurts her knee. I think it's Melina that's, like, treating it. She says, your pain only makes you stronger. That's another thing that Natasha says and, like, Yelena says throughout the movie, that phrase is the thing that saved them. Because Melina says at one point, she's just like, how did they not take your heart? 
And she goes back to that to that line about pain making you stronger, which is a very toxic thing to say to a child. It is. And and one thing, I, what, what I was noticing in that scene was that as Yelena's knee is getting treated, and this is before we know the full um, depth of, of what has happened, uh, Natasha kind of side-eyes the mom while she's treating Yelena's knee. Like, why is yeah. she babying her? Like, why, why is she, <laughs> like, what is going on here? And it kind of, when you first see it, it kind of just looks like some older sister, kind of like, what is going on there? But then to find out, right, like, Natasha's coming into this knowing that, like, how they will be treated or or how they have been treated or what they're capable of being treated of is very different than this. But so to see the flip side of that, when she's like, no, don't you guys are not taking her. Like she really wants Yelena to be able to maintain that innocence, even though she kind of felt some way about it a little earlier. Also, did you notice that in the indoctrination of the family of them training the kids, <laughs> the TV show that they show them is DuckTales. And did I was just they? like, no, that I is such, that. That's so dark of like taking such a perfect cartoon and <laughs> showing it to these kids. If you were going to, let's say that you were in charge of the Red Room. Mike, you're too good of a person to be in charge of the Red Room. I got I got darkness in me. I can make I well, can make what bad TV choices. show would you indoctrinate the kid? Like what in 2021, what would be the show you're like, you need to watch this kids? Well, you know, it's funny that they showed them DuckTales because that's another show about these kids with no parents, right? <laughs> like there's no parent in that situation. Um I'm thinking like show them something crazy like silver spoons. You know, Ooh, I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say Adventure Time. I would show them Adventure Time. No, nah, Adventure Time's too complicated for indoctrination. It's gonna have them asking a bunch of questions and shit. You don't mm. want that. You want invisible rich people, and you want a big train going around the house. You want a black kid and a white kid. You know what I'm saying? Like you just, oh, this is the dream. That's what you want to show them. See, I can do it. I can be evil. <laughs> also, let's talk about one of my favorite characters in this whole thing. If we're we're gonna stay in Family Corner for a minute. What David Harper does with the Red Guardian team oh was God, so fucking so good. brilliant. So he good. was so good. Dad of the year material. Because there's this part in the movie <clears throat> where he's like, we can get to St. Petersburg. And Yelena's like, no, we fucking can't. And he's <laughs> like, fine, whatever. And like the helicopter crashes. And they walk out. And it's one of my favorite parts of the entire movie where basically like they're all like Natasha and Yelena are so mad at him. They're just so fucking mad at him. And then he goes, what? like, what's your problem? Look at how I raised you. He's like to Yelena, he's like, you were the greatest child assassin. <laughs> he's like to Black Widow, he's like, what? He's like to Natasha, what are you complaining about? You're a fucking Avenger. He's like, your, your, your ledgers are gushing with blood. And he's so like proud of them. And it's delivered so well. It I think beautiful. that that was perfect casting. What did you think of like David... As the Red Guardian. I think you selected the perfect scene because he's playing that like proud dad, but everything he's describing is raising supervillain kids. <laughs> you know, like that's literally what he's like. I have raised you all as the perfect murderers. I am dad of the year takes a bow. Like it was absolutely incredible. It was fantastic. And I think, yeah, I think he did an awesome job. He was truly in a lot of ways, the heart of the movie, the butt of a lot of the jokes. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just think, I think he did a fantastic job. Like I, I would love to see more, uh, Red Guardian content. I hate when people do this, but fuck it. It's my podcast. It's your podcast. Fuck it. Night Boy. All right. So I already told you that I liked like the family vacation part of mm -hmm. this movie way more. And part of me was like, damn, wouldn't it like, why didn't they just like introduce 
all of like the Winter Guard. For those that don't know, that's like the Russian version of the Avengers. Because one of the Easter eggs is like, did you notice this? You know when the Red Guardian is uh is is arm wrestling that guy? Yeah. And the guy basically calls him out on his lie, being like, how did you fight Captain America in the 80s, bro? He was still in the fucking ice. And then, like, he breaks his, like, hand. Right. And he calls him Ursa. And he calls him a bear. And that's an Easter egg because one of the people in the Winter Guard is, like, Ursa, this big, like, Ah. mutant bear guy. And, like, part of me was like, damn, like, as we're seeing in Loki, they're getting, like, weird with shit. I'm like, we could have had a mutant bear in this. We could have had, like, you know what I'm saying? We could have had the Winter Garden this shit. Am I wrong? No, I mean, we absolutely could have. I I don't know as much about them as I wish I did, so I can't can't help you imagine that. But I can certainly cheer you on and say that that sounds like some cool-ass shit. in, In this family vacation, like, we got the whole family. That was my favorite part. I The whole time in this, I was like, dog. I wish Hawkeye was in this. I wish Hawkeye was like just sitting in on the family dynamic and be like, y'all fucked up. <laughs> like just like missing his family. Like I just like, there were some points I was like, oh, or like Winter Soldier. Like they bring up the Winter Soldier program because earlier on, that is like, that is basically like the little floppy disk. Oh, wait, oh, also before I go on, okay. the little floppy disk that, that they steal is from Hydra. And oh, basically, okay. that's like information, like the way that they're controlling like the Black Widows is based on how they were, like the whole Winter Soldier program and I the stuff see. that they were doing on Bucky. A part of me was like, damn, it would be so fucking cool if the Winter Soldier was in this. It really like, it would, would be. be so cool. It really would be. Uh, yeah, they had him on deck, man. They should have just went ahead and pulled the trigger on that. But I also want to say this. I think it's also cool and somewhat thematically on point that they didn't include that stuff. Because I think, honestly, and I, and I say this as a person who's dealt with a fair bit of trauma, trauma tends to make you compartmentalize. So it makes sense that she would go and have all of these adventures on her fucking own <laughs> and wouldn't involve anybody. And then that also kind of informs maybe why she came back and didn't mention none of this shit. I agree. Like, actually, let's stay there for a minute. I think this is a movie and the, the MCU as a whole especially like WandaVision. And even, I would even say Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. Honestly, all of them, this phase of the MCU is dealing with trauma. You know, Wanda's dealing with the loss of vision. You see Bucky dealing with, Bucky and Sam dealing with the loss of Cap, what it means to be like a black man who takes on the mantle. And Loki's dealing with this trauma of like, not only like, who am I? Can I be good? Can I change? But he's also dealing with his mom dying. And learning that and all of these things. And I think in Black Widow, Natasha is dealing with this trauma of like she built this family with the Avengers and now they're they're taken away from her. She ran away from her past and now she's coming back to confront it. And then with Yelena, she's dealing with what does it mean when my whole family is fake? And like, how do you think that like the trauma in this movie worked? Did that work for you like thematically throughout? It absolutely it? did. Uh, I mean, I think this is the most... I mean, WandaVision's close, but this is this is a very clear example of somebody confronting trauma. I think when you look at um how the relationship between between Natasha and the killing of is it Drakeskoff? Drakeoff? Drakeoff. Drakeoff. Drakeoff's daughter and how that plays into the movie in a very important way. Like a lot of 
her motivation, a lot of Natasha's motivation is based on how she feels about having done that, how she feels about all the killing that she had to do. When she's when she's talking to Yelena about it, she's like, oh, she was collateral damage. You can see in her eyes, like, she doesn't really feel that way. She feels like a human being. She doesn't feel like a murderer. She doesn't she doesn't connect with the part of herself that operated when she was brainwashed. And now she kind of has to sit with a lot of that. There's a yeah. lot of trauma in her old behavior that she has to contend with. And a lot of that is motivation for stuff that happens in this movie. No, I totally agree. I think this is the perfect time to go to Florence. <laughs> and to do that, Jomi, Steve, turn on your cameras. Oh, here okay? we go. Here we go. Oh I want to call oh out boy. my man Jomi really quick, all right? <laughs> Umar Johnson would be furious with Jomi because I know he was thirsting over Florence Pew Pew. That's so <laughs> funny. He invoked I just want to set the record straight. I'm just going to say Zach Braff is the luckiest man. <laughs> <laughs> Jomi, answer for your crimes here. Listen, <laughs> listen. I respect Zach Braff. I mean, that's, you know, JD from Scrubs. You feel me? <laughs> so let me not disrespect the king, but, um, <laughs> hey, man. Florence Pugh, man. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. Zoom doesn't go to 4K, but you're certainly caught in it right now. Dog, hey, listen. <laughs> listen, it's, I'm getting cooked, right? I can't lie. I'm getting cooked. She was, she was great. I mean, from, you know, she was like, Besides David Harbour, she had a lot of the jokes. She had the running gag with the uh, with the with the pose. Oh, so you know good. what I'm saying. And and that scene, you guys talked about, you know, the the family being like the heart of the film. That scene where at the table, you know, she's the one who's like, "You guys are my family." You know, you're my mom, yeah. you're my sister. You know, so she was fantastic. It didn't it did not help that she looked fantastic <laughs> the entire film. You know. All right, so, so I brought Steve and Jomi because when the when the movie first dropped, we were in a group chat. So I want to bring the group chat to the podcast. Oh, he's got to air, air the messages now. Okay. Was Florence Pugh the best part of this movie? Because I will say, if I was Scarlett Johansson, when we were filming this, I'm like, God damn, like, when did this become the Florence Pugh show? <laughs> like, she dropped like 40 on ScarJo. For real. What I will say is that she did so well that I feel like the remaining MCU films will almost rein in that performance. Like that Russian accent is going to be gone in two Absolutely. movies. It's gone. 100%. It's like that. Also, 100%. I feel like they baked in that like they had American accents before because the next time we see her, she's not rocking. Absolutely. Like, so they will want to max him off that accent for sure. 100%. <laughs> but like, Mike, what did you think of Florence Pugh? Because I do think like she was the MVP easily of this whole fucking movie. Absolutely. But I also feel like it's designed that way. I feel like in the script, she's the most sympathetic character in this by far. She was the baby in the family and all of the dirty shit she did, she was being brainwashed the entire time. And as soon as she had her senses, she was trying to do right by people. And I feel like that, you know, like that puts her in a position where you're going to be rooting for her the whole time. And not to mention, she's roasting the poses and, and she's got all the jokes to everybody too. I mean, I, I think... She was put in an excellent position and she fucking nailed it. I will say also, I gotta be real. This felt like a backdoor pilot for for like Yelena as like <laughs> the new Black Widow. 100%. It was just like, oh, like y'all were just like, ScarJo, this whole movie's gonna be about you. And then like the writers are like, all right, we gotta make the audience fall in love with this new Black Widow. But also while I have Jomi here and also Steve, because Steve, 
if, if you listen to the Midnight Boys, he has some spicy takes. Okay, all right. I'm not going to do this. I can't do all this. Right. All right, all right, Steve, you can start off your mic. It's fine. All right, fine. okay. I thought you were one of the boys. I'm, I can am. I, I just don't want to be too disparaging. I don't want to be too disparaging. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real. Rick Mason in Black Widow? The only black dude in the whole movie? Oh, my God. He was simping after Scarlett Johansson, which I would do... I would do the same thing. I think, yeah, I think it's just very understandable. You know, it's yeah, understandable. You, can't, you can't blame him. Yeah. You can't blame I can't blame him. But the fact he went out so fucking sad, he like he barely got a a, a peck on the cheek. My man was running out here getting her Quinn jets. <laughs> he got her a they jet. They got and her a jet. return nothing. We know from experience that Black Widow's not about it. Love is for children. <laughs> she says that. That's Love true. Is for That's children. true. She's not here. And the last boy she simped over literally got on a jet and went to space, mm. right, mm. to get away. She she's done. She's all tapped out. But and, and, and man, homie shot his. She shot his shots, man. He was shooting. He was shooting, and, right? he just, and, and she just wasn't with it. Exactly. <laughs> the whole movie, I was like with Rick. I'm like, this man has gotten her a trailer, a truck. He's, he's like sleeping in her bed. He gets her a helicopter. He gets her a Quinjet. He drops every fucking thing for her. And it's so funny because like the whole movie, I was just like, dog, I'd do the exact same. <laughs> I'd do the exact same. Am I wrong, guys? No, you're not wrong. All right, not I'm going to get all. off this. The audience is going to get so mad at me. But yo, Steve, Jomi, thank you so much. I wanted to open up our, our, our private group chat for everyone because this is what we talked about immediately after. Thank you, guys. I'm going to pull you guys in later. Open mic. Are you ready to put your hater cap on? Oh, I never took it off. If there is any time that I'm going to roast this movie, a movie that I did enjoy, mm -hmm. it is for what they did to mm -hmm. Taskmaster. What yeah. I would call a character assassination. I think so. Can you tell them about how badass Taskmaster is in every other iteration <laughs> of him? Tony Masters... The Taskmaster in the comics not only has insane abilities, right? Like the photographic memory, the ability to copy anybody's movements without, you know, technology. Just He just has to watch them. His powers, he just has to watch them once and he can master them, whether it's Spider-Man, Wolverine, whatever. He's like, I would say he is the equivalent of like the Marvel Universe's Deathstroke. And on top of that, he talks mad shit while he's doing he it. Is, he is like, he's like Deadpool levels of shit. And here's my thing. If we're going on the Deadpool, they made Taskmaster into the Wolverine's origin version of Deadpool. Okay, see, I didn't see Wolverine's origins. I, I steer clear at a lot of those uh, Fox X-Men so movies. So in that, Ryan Reynolds, his mouth sewn shut. Are you serious? The entire yeah, time? he doesn't say any. He's, he's not like, he quips a little earlier in the movie, but he doesn't have his suit in that movie. He, does, he basically doesn't say shit once he becomes like Deadpool, Deadpool. It's just a complete character assassination. And the, the big fault that I have with this movie is I think the best Marvel, the best Marvel movies have great antagonists. Right. Whether it's Thanos, whether it's Black Panther with Killmonger, whether it's Avengers with Loki. The Ragnarok with Hela. Well, yeah. You, like, you sympathize with the villains. You, you feel them. They have a charisma too, typically. They have a charisma. Exactly. Down with. And because they made Taskmaster in this movie mute, I don't, I don't care. Like, like you know what I'm saying? It's like, tough because you know, I care in the way that you care about 
somebody that's been through some shit, you know, yeah. and, and you want you want them to be free of that. Like, so that kind of basic humanist care, yeah. But like, do I care to see this character in another movie? No. Because no. here's the thing. In this movie, like, actually, Jomi, like, when I first saw it, shouted, like, told me about this. So shout out, Jomi. So back in Avengers, when Loki is having a discussion with, um, with Black Widow, he brings up Dracov's daughter. And that is the impetus to make Dracov's daughter in this Taskmaster. So in this movie, we've already went over it. But one of the things that Black Widow has to do to defect from the Red Room and to join S.H.I.E.L.D. is to kill Dracov. And the way she does that is by following this daughter, blowing her up, whatever. It's like a means to an end. And they make Dracov's daughter Taskmaster. But in this, instead of like in the comics where he's very talkative, he's very kind of just like making fun of the heroes, kicking ass. She's mute in this. And I and like there was points in the movie, like the first fight with Taskmaster, I don't know about you, I was like, oh shit. It's like, it's happening. She's like, she's studying Black Panther. She's studying Hawkeye. She's doing Captain America moves. But I think that was undercut by the fact of like, she didn't have a motivation. Like this Taskmaster didn't really have a motivation in this. She was just like a means to an end. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is because a lot of this movie deals with characters that are doing things because they've been programmed to. And yeah. I think this Taskmaster was like the ultimate manifestation of that. Somebody who's complete, like they no longer have a self because they mm -hmm. have been completely rebuilt with the one mission to be a killing machine. And what I don't get about the writing of it is like, you could have easily made this into someone who's like, as a child, was targeted by Black Widow. You could still have made this character witty, wry, humorous, but also had this bloodthirst to be like, I want to kill Black Widow because Black Widow tried to kill me as a kid and now she's running off. She's a celebrity. She's an Avenger. She gets to have this life that I was robbed of. You could have easily done that instead of making like Taskmaster just this, just this mute. And one thing I actually wanted to bring back up is like Yelena says this thing that I find very interesting. She says when they're, when they're in this gas station and she's making fun of like Black Widow's posing and mm -hmm. like, like she keeps calling her a poser, she says, why do, you, why do you always do this? Why do you, yes, why do, you do exactly. this thing? She says, I'm not the killer that little girls call their hero. And that to me was like one of the best lines of the movie because it, it deals with what does it mean to be a hero in the MCU? Because we have the symbol of the ledger. Everybody keeps bringing up the ledger. Like, how many names do you have on your le ledger? How many? How bloody is it? How many people have you killed? And a lot of Black Widow's impetus for joining S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything is trying to clear her ledger, is trying to make up for all of these people that she killed as part of being in the Red Room. And I think Yelena is on the opposite side of that, is being like, hey, no matter how much good you do, you still killed these people. You're mm -hmm. no different than me. We are both killers. Right. What did you feel about how like Yelena is kind of like the opposition to Natasha being like, actually, yeah, you saved the universe a couple of times, but you still killed people. I do think that she was rightly persecuting and pressing Natasha on this idea of identity, right? Like on the fact that Natasha gets to Gallivant with the superheroes is seen as a celebrity and somehow feels like she gets to divorce herself from her past while Yelena is still living in it, while there's still a very active 
widow program that Natasha acts like she completely stopped because she killed Drake off and she didn't even bother to confirm that she did that, you know? So I think there was a lot of very righteous taking Natasha to task for all of that stuff. And it'll be really interesting to see going forward whether or not Yelena embraces the opportunity that she's clearly going to have to live that kind of celebrity hero life too when, when it comes up later. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Do you have a segment in this show where you poke stupid holes in things? We don't, but we can have now. Before we go to awards corner, let's poke some holes in things. Okay, I have a little. I have a little list here. Um, okay, let's do it. Young Natasha had uh, blue hair in 1995. I don't believe it. I don't believe Ooh, that at all. I don't talk believe it. about it. I don't believe it. I don't. I don't think that that's what would have happened. Um, when Taskmaster rolled up on Natasha, I believe he shot a missile at her. Did did she have the missile just on top of the van? Was she driving around? With the missile, with a van with a missile on it, I didn't even think about that. Wait, like, can I poke one hole? Please, this please. is a big hole. I want, like, this is the hole. I was gonna save this. All right. Did you watch the stinger at the end? Yes, of course. Valentina comes back, mm -hmm. and she basically goes, like, Yelena is at Black Widow's grave, and she hands her an iPad and basically gives her a mission. Like, this is this is the person. Hawkeye is the person who is responsible for Black Widow's death. Mm -hmm. How the fuck does Valentina know what the fuck happened on Vormir? Jomi, put on your <laughs> mic, put on your camera. Can you talk to me? Because we're both mad I about this. I was thinking about that too. Like, I'm like, right? dude, she got Vormir intel? That's that's wild. It's like, there's no way, Jomi, like you were really mad about this. Explain why this is wild. It's not only that. If we go back to WandaVision, there's a scene <laughs> with uh, Jimmy Woo, Darcy, and uh, Monica Rambeau. And they're just like, yeah, Captain Marvel did this. Scarlet Witch did this at the battle uh, in Endgame. And I'm like, who is snitching? <laughs> <laughs> like, w at what point did someone go, yeah, man, here's what happened. I'm, I'm sure none of the Wakandans spoke. None of the, the people from the Sanctums across the world spoke. Dr. Strange ain't to nobody. Was, was Hawkeye doing press? <laughs> 
Like, I don't understand, like, who told them to play by play. I understand, like, you know, the story stuff, you know, it gets out. But, like, who was talking? Well, it, oh, you know it, what? If, if I may jump in here, Jomi, real quick. She could be she could she could just be doing pulling all these strings, fake newsing them just to get people on their side. She's but manipulating she all these things. Vormir but... is my thing. Who is talking about Vormir? She knows a whole bunch of stuff. I think I think we gotta we gotta look out for what's going on with the Daily Bugle at this point, man. You know, Nick I know, Fury's I know Nick Fury's in a space station working with aliens uh, for right now. I'm pretty sure that we could find out about other planets where. Uh, all right, Steve, cut, cut Steve's mic, all right? We're you can't do that. Plug, I'm running the we're switches not plugging here. Holes. This isn't fucking Dunkirk, Steve, <laughs> all right? We're, we're poking holes in the fucking ship. Oh, Mike, what's the next hole? Uh, uh, my, my last hole is um, this red room was in a tower in the sky. Uh, did it, it? I would assume it touched the ground at some point. I would assume <laughs> the bottom of this was on the ground. How did nobody ever run up on this building? Yes. Wait, also, can we just talk? You brought up a good point. Before we get into Awards Corner, I want to bring this up. Does Black Widow have a third act problem? I was in love Ooh, with this movie. Okay, okay. The whole lead up okay. to, like, everything. The minute they go into the sky, I was just, like, I just started, like, getting a headache when she's, like, talking to Dracov. Yeah. And, like... I don't like... Has- yo, yo. That fight, that, that... I can't even call it a fight. Where she's just, like letting Drake off punch her in the face a whole lot. Oh, I didn't like ugh. that at all. Ugh. That was that was triggering, man. And we're not in Taskmaster Corner anymore, but even the Taskmaster, I don't even want to call it fight with Red Guardian. I'm like, this is all we get. And then they put Taskmaster in jail. I was just like, uh like it that is probably where I was just like the movie, if I had to ding it points, it kind of falls apart in the third act. This is something that happens with a lot of MCU movies where I was just like too much going on. I, I think, yeah, honestly, it happens with most movies that have um, what I would call like an uh, unusual premise, right? Like when it gets to trying to resolve everything, it it usually kind of misses the mark. So I think I've learned to be a lot more lenient about that personally. Uh, but I, but this movie certainly had some failings when it came to that last act. All right, so we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about a lot of this in awards corner. We're gonna go into awards corner, Steve. Like. If you can play some stock awards music, that would be great right now. Like some strings, like some. We're in awards corner for Black Widow. <laughs> Most fun bit or joke. I have mine, but I want you to go first. I, I got to do one we already covered, but it's it's uh it's Yelena's whole deal with Natasha's poses all through the movie Ooh. to the point where. Uh, later on in the movie, Yelena does one of her own to see what it feels like. And she's like, nah, dog, this ain't me. But I also think that they're playing a dangerous game with this. Because now, anytime somebody does the superhero pose from this point after, we're all going to be looking at it side Wait, because they did that joke. And then when they go to rescue um, Alexi, Black Widow does the pose again. Yeah. I was like, she did it. She did it. It was like the, it was like the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme. I was like, <laughs> you know? All right, so I'm going to go for my favorite bit because it was not only funny, but it was an emotional scene that made me like be like, give me Yelena, like, give me a Yelena Disney Plus show. Give me her, her in a movie. I don't give a fuck. Give me everything. It was the vest scene. It was when like... Oh, yeah. Oh, when yeah. When she's in the car, she's talking about the vest and she's so 
proud. It's like when your boy who don't got a lot of style, but like he got his like tax return back and he like gets like, <laughs> he, he got his first piece of off white and he's so proud to show you, even though it's from last season. And she's like so proud of her vest. She's like, it has so much, so, it has so many pockets. It's great. She does all these modifications. And then she does something that is like, it's funny, but it was like one of the most emotional things. I don't know why I got so emotional when she says this, but she says, I've never had control over my own life before, and now I do. And and the vest is the first act in her own life that she feels like a decision is a decision that she made on her own. It's like so emotionally important. I'm gonna get if if everybody if the listeners get mad at me, fine. But I'm gonna get a little emotional right now. I don't know about you, open mic. But like before I was a podcaster, before I thought it was all a dream before that, (laughs) my first job out of college, I was working social media for like a sneaker company and I had saved up all my money. And I think I had bought like the first Yeezys. I ran like these are like the Adidas Yeezys, like the low tops. And I ran to the person like in the factory, whoever who was making purchases. And I'm like, all right, yo, like, like this is my one favor. Can I buy these Yeezys? You know what I'm saying? And they're like, you want these ugly shoes? Who's going to fucking want these? They didn't even know what they had. And I was just like, I'll, I'll buy them. Like, can I just buy them like just for like box price? They're like, fucking sure. No one's even asked about these. And I got these Yeezys. And those Yeezys were the ones. I never wore them, but I would always like go back in my Philly apartment and look at them. Like this was the first thing as an adult I had bought that I had wanted and I had coveted. And then I had to make a choice. I had to make a fucking choice. I wanted to move to fucking New York and I didn't have the money to do it. And I had all these sneakers and that was the one that I had to resale to fucking get to New York. Like I had gotten like a thousand, like a thousand, a thousand five hundred dollars to get my first apartment in New York. And I felt like Yelena in that fucking moment. But when Yelena said that, it, it, it brought me back to that time when you're like, you're an adult and you buy this first thing for yourself. And a lot of times it's clothing. And sometimes you don't even have to wear it. It's just like, it's your agency. It's a symbol of like, this is a thing that I want and I've coveted and I'm going to hold on to it. I wish I could get those easy. Bro, when, I was, when I was in uh, seventh grade, when I first got an allowance, I saved, uh, I was getting like, it was like $7.50 a week allowance, right? It was $15 Damn. every two weeks. It was nothing, right? <laughs> I saved up, I saved up $56 to buy a Jabo shirt. Okay. Whoa. To buy a fucking Jabot shirt. And yo, I was horse playing or something in the classroom after the teacher was gone. I snagged my Jabot shirt on a paper cutter. Oh, shit. I've never been sadder in my damn life. <laughs> How much did the Jabot shirt cost? $56. It cost 56, 50, exactly. $56. God damn. This is the sad. We are getting so sad. This was supposed to be uplifting. We we're supposed to be awarding stuff, but this is what the awards are for. Right. All right. What was the most, to you, the most interesting reveal? Interesting reveal. Okay, this doesn't really count as a reveal, but I want to say it anyway. When they walked into the red room, and there was that room full of widows practicing the Black Widow sweep. Ooh! I thought that was so ill. Yeah. And guess what it reminded me of? Uh, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. Somebody should (laughs) put that music over that scene. That, that'll be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. This is why we have you on the show. Like, now if I watch the movie again, I'll never be able to unfucking see that <laughs> shit. Dog, like, now, what was the most interesting reveal of this? 
this is also not a very interesting reveal. This is another thing that fucking made me mad. When Yelena in the stinger goes back, <laughs> Yelena goes back to visit Black Widow's grave and that shit is in Ohio and it's not like a big, like a big, like this is like a hero that has saved the whole fucking universe, the timeline. It's just a little, little like gravestone. I was just like, Y'all have done Black Widow goddamn so dirty. I was just like, she deserves like a fucking monument in Washington. Absolutely. What the fuck are we doing? She should have a statue at least. Also, what did they bury? Because her body is the bottom of a damn pit. I have no idea. Maybe a... I don't know. That is actually a very good point. All right. Best action scene. I feel like, oh no. Yeah. It's 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 Yelena and Natasha fighting in the Budapest apartments. Fucking Yo, a, bro. the ragdoll physics in that fight were incredible. How like Natasha's body would hit one side of the door frame and then the other and then kind of like or they like it was the there, like she had something and I'm like she would have a broken back, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But that I thought was, that fight was incredible. I had seen it in this is this isn't I agree that is my choice, but if we had to pick a runner up, I do think the set piece where they're getting chased back chased down by Taskmaster. It got spoiled because I had seen it in so many trailers. But basically when like Yelena like opens the door, fucking kicks that shit. I was like, oh dog, this is fucking amazing. But I do agree with you. Natasha versus Yelena is by far the best action scene. So I'm going to like, we have a list of awards. I'm going to go off the grass. We have two more. Who gets the horny award? Uh, what does that mean exactly? You got to tell me exactly which way I should interpret Uncontrollable that. horniness. Like, just be like, relax, take a fucking cold shower. We've talked like about- in the movie? In the movie, because I have a pick right now. When when the Red Guardian, he was like, he's like, yo, uh, I got a lot of energy, bro. I just got out of prison. Yo, man's been in the pen. He's been in I the pen. I have to give it to him, like, because he also, like, puts it, he puts on his, like, his old superhero costume oh, just yeah. to show, to show his, like, old John, like, I still got it. She's like, you're fat, but you still look good, my right, man. Right, right. Melina, Melina, give it to you straight, man. Melina, give it to you. Tell you you fat. Like, she'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I already called the red She room. named her like, pig. But here's the thing. She named her pig. On some, like, on some, like, real, like, you still got feelings for me. She's She named the pig after my man. So she's like, she's like, you could still get it. Like, after this heart. mission. That's right. Actually, I'm going to give, I'm going to award it to two people. I'm going to award it to the Red Guardian and I'm going to reward it to Melita because they were, they were giving each other the eyes the whole time. Yeah, man. You know, you know what it's like to go back and get something you didn't have before, you know, used to be, used to be special. That's, that's, that's usually still good. It's usually still good. (laughs) The last award, the most important award, who gets the MVP award for Black Widow? We got to go Florence. Pew, 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 We got to do it. There's no, I, I don't actually think there's any competition. What she does throughout this whole movie, she's running laps around Scarlett Johansson. Nothing against Scarlett Johansson. I love her. But like the way like Florence Pugh within one movie makes you fall in love with like her character, her strife, everything emotionally she's going through. Like I want to see her as Black Widow now. She has to be the end. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. And, and, Again, I think the script did her a ton of favors. It really made her sympathetic in a way that is hard to to do, but she absolutely nailed it, 100%. All right, so we're at the point now where we're wrapping up this podcast, but I want to talk about legacy. I have a couple questions about the legacy of the MCU, Black Widow, everything. So 
if you could predict, we like to predict on the show, where do you think Black Widow Yelena is going now? Well, okay, so she's going to be working for Valentina, um, or she has been working for Valentina, and she's clearly ready to stop working for Valentina. Uh, and we don't know, we don't necessarily know what Valentina's role is or or who, because she's not Hydra, right? Like, it's, she, it's, she's not Hydra. She's some type of organization. I have a feeling about where they're going with that. I, I don't, I really don't. Uh, I know that eventually she'll be a hero and, and it seems like eventually she will take that Black Widow mantle. Uh, whether or not that goes all the way into the Avengers, I, I can't really be sure at this point. I think, if I had to say, I think she most likely will show up in Hawkeye, the the Disney Plus series that's going to introduce Kate. You know, Clint is going to be in it as well. But like I've been saying for any, like I've been from the tops, I'm like, we got US Asian out here. We got Black Widow. We're either getting like a Thunderbolts or a Dark Avengers type of right. things. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I mean, Zemo we got Ross. still out there. We got Ross. And Ross is so fed up with the Avengers. Yeah, I, like, it's either a Dark Avengers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if like Captain America Four is like Captain America the Dark Avengers or like Captain America Thunderbolts of like him having to make his secret secret Avengers squad with like Bucky and a few other people and like having to go against these Dark Avengers. That's what I actually think I would I would want. She might even show up in Young Avengers. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if like the MCU, what they do is like, all right, everybody gets Avengers. We have Secret Avengers. We have Dark Avengers. We have Young <laughs> Avengers. Young Avengers for everyone. That's what it seems like they're going. It does. We, we, we have plenty of heroes and, and plenty of people sharing mantles. So there's a lot of ways it seems like they could go. Now, Kevin Feige has talked about that there might be more prequels. What prequels would you want to see from Dang, the what MCU? What prequel would I want to see in the MCU? What is most interesting to me? Dang, so I'm thinking about Wanda. And I'm thinking about wanting to see more stuff with like her and Pietro. Um, maybe when they're being experimented on. I don't, I don't know what else was really going on with them at that time in their lives. But I think that could be something I could be real interested in seeing. All right, so this is I'm like I'm super ultra cheating right now, but you're such an X Men fan. I don't give a fuck. This is this is the oh, midnight. This it. is let's our go. podcast. Let's go. I would love if I was redoing the X Men. I would love if they did a prequel film that was all about the original five: Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, Angel. It wouldn't be the first movie. We would have another movie, but that would be the movie where we go back to just those foundational people. Like, it would be almost like a Harry Potter type film. Like, they're all in school, figuring out how to be whatever. The The first film that we would get would be, like, the introduction. You know, like, what was the issue where it was, like, they introduced everyone? It was, like, Wolverine, Colossus. Oh, giant size Giant size X-Men. X-Men. That would yeah. be, if I was doing the MCU, that would be my first one. We would do giant size X-Men rescuing the original squad from Krakoa. Hey, man. Look, I'm going to go back. I'm going to throw my answer out the window because I want to see these things that you're talking about. I, I want to see these X-Men. <laughs> I but still, like, I'm, I'm going to cheat with you now because that's what I want to see. What would your X-Men film? I'm going giant size. I would do a giant size X-Men film as my first one and then introduce, like, the Jean Grey's everybody else during the prequels. That's my first film. Which one would be your first film? That's a smart way to do it. Gosh, it's so tough because a lot of these... X-Men, especially the ones that they're going to need to introduce immediately. These are grown adults. 
So you have that problem, right? Like, are they just around somewhere hiding now? Do they need to be yeah. introduced interdimensionally? Like, how do you do it? And in that sense, it does kind of make sense to kind of go back and introduce characters first, the young ones. I don't know, man. It's real confusing. I don't envy Kevin Feige for this problem. I don't envy him. I don't him. envy him. This this is a this is a tough position to be in to have these million dollar properties that don't make sense to include logically because you've established a universe for 20 years already. Here's the thing. Here's our last question. I think if we looked at like the MCU, not in the traditional tiers, but like ranking them in tiers, I think there's like there's the first tier. I'm talking about Black Panther, Infinity War, Winter Soldier. I would say there's another tier. I don't want people to yell at me. I, in the second <clears throat> tier, I would probably put like, ooh, what would I put in the second tier? Like Avengers or Avengers. a different, different lower tier. You're putting in Iron Man 2. Joe, me, Steve, they're going to get mad at me. I'd put Iron Man 2 in there. I'd put the Dark World in there. Where are we situating Black Widow? I mean, look, I just watched it this morning and I liked it. So I'm willing to put it second tier. But something Second tells me, tier. something tells me I'm going to watch it again and I'm not going to necessarily feel the same way about it. But fresh off the presses, I think it's a good movie. Like, I think the, the, the Taskmaster situation, even that is only a problem because I have prior comic book knowledge. If I didn't, I wouldn't care, you know, if, and, and if and if I could take that away as a big hole, then I really don't have any problem with the movie. You know, like there's nothing about the movie that it is inherently bad. So I'd, I'd have to put it that second tier. Fans, don't get mad at me. Don't Uh-oh. get mad at me. Uh-oh. I really did like this movie. I just, like when I walked out of the theater, I really liked it. Upon rewatch, it, it, it got dinged a little. I think because I, I have to judge the movie as it was when it came out, everything I've watched, I think it's towards the bottom. And that has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. I think the movie in a vacuum is a good movie. I just think that, like, the stakes weren't high enough. And when I left it, I did leave with this feeling of, like, I enjoyed it, but what was the point? Is this movie too late? Like, this movie should have come before Captain Marvel. This should be the first, like, woman-led MCU movie. It should have come before Captain Marvel, for sure. It should have, like, this, like, they should have given Scarlett Johansson her own solo movie. Like, that, like, Feige, like, he has done a brilliant job, but if there was, like, one kind of, like, if there was, like, something on his ledger that he fucked up, this was it. Where I feel like if I had gotten this movie around the same time that I was getting, like, Captain America Winter Soldier. Civil War, yeah. Civil War, whatever. Like, I actually think it would have been better. But because, like, this is coming after, like, Infinity War and Endgame, and we see, like, the end of the universe, I got to ding it a little bit. But you know what? I, th- I think in, in some way, speaking to that point, it is helped by the fact that it's been so long since those movies came out. True. Well, I will ask you this. As an MCU fan, I do think that the one thing that you could ding the MCU on now is because we got, like, universe-shattering Infinity War Endgame. It's really hard to set these stakes. And I've liked the Disney Plus shows. I've liked Black Widow. I've liked Spider-Man. But I would say the one knock against them is like once you see Endgame, once you see Infinity War, it's hard to go back. Honestly, I think one of the big things for me that I struggle with in, let's say, WandaVision, let's say, Falcon and Winter Soldier, you feel like 
people should be more affected by what happened with the snap, with the blip, with all of it. You feel like it should it should have a lingering effect on human psychology, not just with the heroes that fought the battle, but just with people, you know? And and I don't see enough of that. We saw a little bit of that in WandaVision because we saw people blip back, you know? But just, and this is just me as a person who like, it's really a tune or is, is interested in psychology. That's the one thing that kind of doesn't add up for me. So like, we had those stakes and I feel like with those stakes and with the things that happened it should we should be see more of a palpable effect on people than what we see. We're, we're going to end on that because that was an amazing point. And I want to say one thing before we leave. If you if you haven't listened to the Loki episode, this is the part where I get serious. Van Lathan, my brother, my fellow Midnight Boy, has gone through um, just something devastating losing his father. You know, and when we were like behind the scenes figuring out, should we do the show? How do we do the show without him? Van is Van is just instrumental to everything we do. He's a leader. He's a guy we look to. He's our Captain America. Um, it was really, really tough. So not only do I miss Van, but when we were thinking about the show, we we're like, we have to invite somebody on who can give us that same energy. And like, it's not easy for Open Mike to come in here and to and to take that seat and to be gracious and like of his time. He's a very busy man. So I want to say thank you to you, Mike, for like giving us this gift because we've we're all sad for Van, but like I like I really just I'm honored that you are like you are here. It's like it's gonna make me cry. Thank you so well, much. Thanks for having me and and big love to Van. Like Van is one of the more talented broadcaster podcasters that walk the earth man so yes. like you know i i i'm i'm here uh with without even the chance to fill his shoes so i just I, I appreciate i appreciate being invited on the show and and um thanks for letting me nerd out a little bit man oh man anytime you're invited back anytime and i want to say a special shout out because if you guys haven't listened to our previous loki episode my man Jomi, my man Steve Allman, our producer, they step in. That is an amazing episode. Thank you guys for rocking it on social. Thank you guys for helping edit this episode. Thank you so much to TD. He's also stepping in as well, uh, like, and he's always here. Thank you to TD as well. And thank you to you guys, the fans. I know this is a little bit different of a Midnight Boys than you usually get, but we're trying our best. And I thank you guys for sending all of your positive words to Van and still rocking with us. We will be back very, very soon. But here on The Midnight Boys, for some reason, we have gotten to the point where they make me do a poem. They make me do a haiku at the end of all these shows. And I feel make really Make you, he says. Make you. I have like one of the best <laughs> rappers alive here. And I'm like, fucking goddamn, I have to do this shit. And it has to be off the top of the dome. But don't judge me too much, Mike. I won't. This is my point where, I, where, where we do the thing, all right? This is coming off the top of the dome. We had a new Midnight Boy here. My girlfriend and me are talking about adopting a beagle. Jomi is thirsting after Florence Pugh. But the MVP of this show is fucking open oh, wow. Mike Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I've solved the Taskmaster problem.
I beat the case, right? See, it's not a person. It's a program, right? Oh. It's a suit. Oh, shit. I see. So she could ditch the suit, you know what I'm saying? If somebody could happen across it, Mm -hmm. you know, the Red Room info gets out, just like at the end of Winter Soldier, when all that info came out, and Baron Zemo was like, ooh, what's this? Somebody could pick up the Taskmaster suit. Maybe some guy named, I don't know, Tony Master (laughs) comes out, gets the the Taskmaster armor, and is the new Taskmaster, and they're quippy, and they they copy everybody's moves. I'm just saying, Yo. it's not it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Man- mantles can be shared. That's what we. I learned. like this. Exactly. I actually I fuck with this, Jomi. Jomi's been smoking a little weed with his camera <laughs> off. Came back with an amazing take. I fucking like this. Let's fucking go. Let's you redo the Taskmaster. Good job, Joe. You see it. There I'm we go. Here. No problem. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 